0: Listening to Doing Law Differently. Join me, Lucy Dickens, as I explore how the world's most progressive legal service providers are doing law differently. Hello, Lucy Dickens here, and you're listening to episode number 21 of the Doing Law Differently podcast. Over the last few weeks, I've been asking you all to let me know what kinds of topics and who you would like me to interview on the podcast coming up next year. And I've had some great feedback from you around what You would like to hear about. So do keep that coming because I'll keep it in mind as I start to plan out for 2020. Today I'm joined by Fiona McClay, who is an experienced commercial litigator, but who has a keen interest in new ways of augmenting legal practice, particularly with technology. Fiona's firm, Maclay Legal, helps owners of law firms to implement effective incremental change so that they can better delight their clients. Its mission is to help lawyers thrive in a profitable tech enabled business so that we can deliver more accessible legal services. Now, I've spoken a lot about tech in that intro to Fiona, but what I love about her approach is that although she is all about using technology and how we can use it to make our businesses better, her starting point is always to encourage people to look at what they already have and how they can use what they already have before they start to go and use other technology, particularly that that they have to pay for. So in this interview, Fiona has got five tips to share with us, which are all ways that we can get started with change, with future-proofing, as she calls it, and really how we can make the most of what we already have within our firms to enable us to change and prepare for the future practice of law. Enjoy. Enjoy. Hi, Fiona. Thank you for joining us.
1: Hi, Lucy. Thanks for having me.
0: I'm very excited to hear the advice that you have. Now, you've got five tips to share with us, which are all ways to get started with change in our law firms and how to future-proof our legal practice. But before I get into those five tips, I want to just get a bit of background to learn a bit more about you so everybody knows who we're talking to. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Now, you've got more than 20 years' experience as a commercial litigator, and that experience covers small firms, mid-tier big law, and more recently in-house. So you've kind of seen it all as far as breadth of law firms and different experiences of the profession goes. So having such a broad, I guess, insight into what law looks like, what do you see as some of the biggest challenges that are facing our profession?
1: Sure. I think really it's the pace of change that is one of the really hard things to get a handle on, and particularly in a profession where a lot of, the same tools haven't changed. I mean, when, even when I started, we were still new. Email came in, and we're still using Word, and we're still using the phone. So we're in a profession that hasn't had to adapt to lots of new tools and a different. We've had to speed up, but we haven't necessarily had to sort of upgrade our tools. And I think that that's something that is causing quite a lot of practitioners a big feeling of overwhelm and I just don't think it's going away. So some of the things I want to talk to you about are some of the ways that I think that people can try to make that change seem more manageable so that you can engage with it and see some of the opportunities as opposed to just trying to keep on doing the way things you've always done when it's worked in the past. I just see there's lots of potential to really reshape our businesses so that they are running more with a business mindset. And I see that there's an enormous good can come out of that where we are being able to have a more human-centric way of, of running things and putting customers and our team members in the middle of how we work rather than as sort of an afterthought. Accessories, yeah. Yeah. So I think that that change will bring... Um, different ways of working and, and some of that will involve using tech to augment the way we provide services. But that human connection is, is going to remain at the centre of how legal services are done and whether that's in big law, medium law or small law or in-house. But really what is what we are going to have to do is just find ways to make sure that we're able to keep up and embrace some of those tools and new ways of working that can really help.
0: It's really interesting because at some point a few years ago, I think the talk around change in firms was all about technology and all the latest tools that you could use. And I'm starting to see a shift where the more times I ask this question, the more often I'm being given the answer that we need to bring it back to the people and make it more about the people. And it's interesting how that shift and that uh, it's not really a cycle, I guess, because we probably didn't start with the people in the first place, but it's just interesting to see that progression.
1: Yeah, it is. And I think it's something that's not just in law. I think Mm. companies also are finding that moving to flexible working, moving to um, more inclusive ways of working is actually delivering better financial results, happier people, more engaged Mm. teams. So Mm. I think that it's kind of, uh, maybe it's a generational shift just around the way that we, we look at what our working life is going to be and how that's going to integrate with a whole of life so that we just have a, a more sustainable career and a longer, healthier working life.
0: Can you pinpoint where your interest in changing law started? Was there a big something that happened for
1: you? It was a gradual thing, but it, it started with being stuck at nine o'clock at night fixing the formatting on a on a 40 page word document and just why why my clients do not want to pay for me to be doing this Mm. um and it really just became that started the question I started asking myself is there has to be a better way and I started just googling you know okay how do I do this and there's there is lots of information that is available when you start to ask those questions, how, what tool could I use to sort this out? So it basically came out of working in a, in a smaller firm where there weren't the sort of resources that might be on tap if you're in a big firm. But we were still running big, complicated litigation and we just needed some tools to help us sort of level the playing field. And so e-discovery... Um, some of the sort of automation tools, some of the collaboration tools. It's much easier to bring those into the system when you're in a small firm because basically you just think that it looks good and you plug your credit card in and you, and you get the product. So it really came out of trying to do a better service with limited resources. And I just found that we really could do a better job and we could get away from some of the reliance on manual processes. And I sort of thought that if I, I'm not a geek and if I could use it and if I could get in my head around it, um, then other people who are also feeling overwhelmed and overburdened and sort of working in traditional ways yeah, could get a kick or, or a bit of a helping hand from some of these tools. So I started trying to share that on my, mostly on LinkedIn, social media, sort of just to sort of like, hey, have you thought about doing this? This might work for you. And it's all just out of free tools or tools that we sort of had lying around and that are pretty easy to implement. But it really just came out of where you have to court, working in litigation, you have court deadlines, you have demanding clients, you have the other side. Uh, They're not going away and there's only limited hours in the day. So we, we do have to just try to find smarter ways to get this stuff done.
0: What you've described is what I love about your approach to change, and that's that you talk about taking incremental change. We don't have to change everything in one big swoop. We can make small steps that over time will add up and at least, I guess, at least will get us started on the journey as opposed to burying our heads in the sand. And it's interesting you talk about small firms because while, like you mentioned, while they may have fewer resources, it's often easier to manage change when you've got a smaller team and less decision makers, perhaps everybody wants to have a say. So let's get started with some of these five things that you say that we can do to make the most of what we already have really is what you're saying look at what you've already got so where do you say what's
1: number 1 where do we start well i think where you start is looking at what is something that just really bugs you and every day or every week pain point that is there a way that i could do this better is there something that i'm constantly riding off time because this just isn't working. But I think sometimes it's kind of tempting. It's a bit like, you know, in January you decide to get fit every January and you say, right, I've got to go and get a gym membership or a CrossFit, yeah. you know, and, and you go five times one week and then you fall over dead the next week and, and, and you sort of loop to the end of the year and you've been six times in all. It's been a failure. You
0: start again in January next year. <laughs>
1: yeah and so instead of saying oh look you know we've got this problem of billing we must get a brand new practice management system and we must you know reinvent the world but just have a look at what you could do what could you break down and there is there's an enormous amount that you could do if you're using office or or g suite you can set up templates you can set up sort of some basic workflows you might be able to set up a group calendar that's going to some, set some reminders about a billing process so that people sort of are working towards a common timing so that you're spreading the load across the group. There might be You might be able to use some sort of project management tools and, and there's a, both Office 365 and G Suite have pretty good planning tools that you can use, just roll out in your existing team. It doesn't have to be very complicated. It's just start to get familiar with some of this capacity that could save you having to redo common tasks and do it in a, get it set up into a bit of a system so that it can run a bit more smoothly with less of these sort of log jams and, and loads where people are having to stay back on a Friday night to get all of the billing done because it's all hit them at the last minute.
0: Mm -hmm. And all those tools that you've just mentioned are things that people are probably already using, Office 365 or G Suite. We've got those, right? So you're not talking about buying fancy tools. You're saying look at what you've already got.
1: Yep. Mm -hmm. And just work out what is the problem you're trying to solve and then pick one task and just try to solve that one task. And if you can't get anywhere with turning the rest of the group into it, maybe you can just fix up the way you do it and have your own team in Office 365 or you in Outlook and you just get familiar with it. I, I just think sometimes if we're stuck in a firm that's got a traditional way of working, it's easy to say, oh, I'm in a traditional firm. I can't do anything.
0: Mm.
1: I think that that can, I was in a traditional firm and I just found ways that I could change the way I work. And sometimes that other people adopted it because they liked it. Some people didn't that's fine. they don't have to bring everyone along with you, but just improve the things you can and don't just don't say, "Oh no, there's nothing I can do because the firm's using this ancient system,
0: yeah, you can at least make your life better, right?
1: yeah, yeah,
0: even if you can't change everything, okay, so we look at what we've already got and we work out how we can use those tools to make our lives easier, I guess is what you're saying, yeah, what comes
1: next? what's number two? number two is. It's sort of part of what I was talking about in number one, really, with some mm-hmm. cheating. But start <laughs> documenting some of the processes. Yeah. So where you are looking at this process is not working, and I'm losing all this time every single month or every week. So there are some really good tools that can help you to maybe just map out what that process. And it's some doing a, a business process map is something that's quite foreign to lawyers, but it's pretty normal in business and you start mapping your current state, then you look at what you don't need to do, and then you make some tweaks, and then you try that, and then you keep on improving it. But without that exercise of stopping and looking at how the process actually works and talking to the people who are involved in the process, you're never going to get that sort of improvement implemented. You're just going to be constantly linging and complaining that the process doesn't work. And that doing that exercise of, of documenting it is really useful if you do want to have lasting change.
0: We did an exercise like this not so long ago at the firm where I work and we've reviewed our entire process for a conveyancing matter from start to finish. And we mapped it. We we did kind of a, des, a service design type approach where we looked at the different swim lanes and we got the whole team involved and we mapped it out and post-it notes on the wall. And just seeing the level of engagement from the team, how excited they were that we were giving this much attention to the work that they do day to day, but then also the different ideas that came from that, A, from being able to see it visually, B, from getting the whole team involved, but also just from having everybody together in that kind of headspace and being able to look and see the process in a visual way and actually identify, it was really obvious that there was this massive gap in the middle where we don't talk to our customers, and No one had ever really thought about that before until we'd seen it mapped out in that way. So I absolutely agree that documenting processes, even just for the purposes of improvement, let alone then documenting them for, you know, future service delivery training or the rest of it, just so many benefits can come from that.
1: Yeah, And you don't have to have all the answers when you start the process, too. You you can Mm -hmm. just by being open to ask people, okay, what's your role in this? What are customers complaining about? Yeah. People that you work with will add things to that and you'll get a much better redesign out of involving everybody than you would ever do if you just sat in your office and tried to dream up the perfect way of, of doing this. Absolutely. I guess my third suggestion sort of flows out of that too. It's, it's learn how to, how to present data visually. Mm-hmm. This is something that lawyers haven't been trained in traditionally. We, we just like to write everything. But yep. where you are trying to work collaboratively it's really important to make sure that communication works really well and busy people take in data a lot faster if it's presented visually mm-hmm. um, and I've, there's a couple of tools that you can use that can help you to be able to draw something that conveys meaning and isn't just a ho- horrible squiggle that you're embarrassed about um, there's a book called draw to win that sort of gives you like a visual alphabet that, so you can start to have some common images that you use when you want to convey a particular thing so if, if you can sort of get yourself comfortable with those then you're able to actually have some confidence to present information visually and I think that's going to be a really useful skill as the amount of information and the space of, it, of the way that we have to process information continues to increase
0: mm. it's interesting because whenever I think about visual or artistic creativity, I think, I can't do that. I'll leave that up to somebody else. And I'm sure a lot of lawyers would think the same way, because it's probably quite common in our our profession. But like you say, with those tools, I mean, Canva is a great example. It comes with preloaded templates, you just need to write in your information. And the more you do it, and the more you get familiar with it, the better you then become at that type of design.
1: That's exactly right. And I mean, working in-house, if you want to communicate something to the business, they're expecting it to be on a PowerPoint slide. They're not expecting it to be in a written memo. So it's not something where you can just say, oh, well, I don't do PowerPoints or I don't draw. If you sort of put your head in the sand about those sort of skills, I think you're blocking yourself out of some, some really helpful ways of being able to get your work done faster and be, and be able to communicate the information you have to share with people. And I know a lot of people don't want to draw or think that they can't write on whiteboards. Nobody can do this stuff to begin with. We have to start making mistakes and getting it right. I think that they're increasingly going to be important. And the more you can do now to play with this stuff is, is going to pay off in the long run.
0: Absolutely. So presenting data visually then is number three.
1: Yeah, so number four is -hmm. practice creative thinking.
0: I love how these all, all linked together. You've thought about the order yeah. of things. These are flowing very nicely. Creative thinking. Okay, what do you mean by this?
1: There's a really wonderful book by a guy. It's about what makes innovators and how are they separate. It's by a guy called Adam Grant who's an organisational psychologist. And what he found is that the people who came up with the most innovative solutions were people that had a creative hobby. And so that might be that they played the violin. It might be that they're a gardener in addition to being you know a scientist or or whatever their day job was they went off and they spoke another language and going into that sort of flow activity away from your day job enabled them to come up with these really innovative ways and a lot of innovation comes out of taking something from one field or one industry and applying it in a new industry So we know it already works in engineering, now we're going to apply it in law and, you know, and then out of that, you get that sort of creative leap. So people who are used to engaging the creative side of their brain or or just having that sort of creative outlet seem to be much better able to make those leaps and then to have the confidence to commit to trying it when it doesn't work the first time and, and continuing to follow through on that sort of innovative process. So it sounds kind of counterproductive to say, oh well, you know, you've got to do all these things and then and have a hobby as well. But I think the skill in it is that having a hobby makes you better able to see the way that you could improve your day job and do the make those sort of leaps of thinking that would enable you to see a better way to get things done.
0: Absolutely. And I can so relate to that. Years ago, I didn't have any hobbies and I'd kind of go to work and I'd go home and I'd clean my house because I was that lame. That was was exciting to me. And then I'd do the same thing the next day, rinse and repeat. And as you could probably imagine, I ended up in a not very happy place because that was all my life consisted of. And then eventually I kind of found some hobbies And I have been able to see how my career has progressed and transformed and gone on all these different kind of journeys as I've had these, what would seem to be completely unrelated hobbies, starting with learning how to build websites because I thought I'd start a blog and then how to write and then what I've learned through business school and then having children and how all those different things that you would look at and think had nothing to do with my career as a lawyer. Actually, I then brought those skills back into the business and then we've kind of taken bits and pieces of that and has changed the journey that the business has taken. So I can see it, absolutely, and I completely agree with you. And that would be why companies like Google give their staff a set amount of time to go and work on whatever enjoys you or whatever you find interesting because they know that it's that creativity and those skills that are outside of the day-to-day then come back into and shape the future of the business
1: yeah that's exactly right and the other thing too is you have to put it in your diary you know you can't just say oh well I'll do some painting later on you know you've got to lock it out in your diary yeah sort out a way that you're going to be able to get there think about it in advance and and really yeah treat that as a something that is absolutely essential to your self-care or whatever you want to call it but but yeah give that priority
0: How do you think we can encourage employers to think like this? Because often the focus is so much on getting the work done and recording those hours and doing whatever needs to be done for the client or the technical aspect of work, that there's not much time left over for this reflection or for reset or for doing something that we don't actually know where this is going yet, but maybe it might end up with some sort of positive. How can we help employers to see that and help them give us the space to do those things?
1: That's a challenge. And in some ways it might just be you have to just be, you have to take responsibility for deciding what, mm. what works for you and what is going to be fulfilling for you. And if that means carving an hour out a fortnight, you probably can manage that. But if you are looking to spend a day a week, you know, that is probably going to be a different pitch altogether and it's going to involve business plans and it's going to involve the leaders of the firm be sort of buying into this idea of devoting time to a long-term plan. Actually, Simon Sinek's new book is talking about having an infinite mindset as opposed to sort of a focus on short-term financial goals of the next quarter and the next year. And he sort of was talking about that if you do want to have a resilient long-term business, you have to be able to look at we just want to be playing on a longer time frame and investing time and effort in building up the skills that will enable us to have a really great product or a really great service, not just this quarter, but for a much longer time frame. And it's something that law traditionally hasn't done. We're, We're all a bit focused on this week or this month's billings. Yeah. So, Look, I think it gets easier if you're in a firm that's not working on a billable hour, but in a traditional firm, I think it's hard. But I think maybe what you have to just do is start with something that is just as simple as I'm going to go to yoga every week. And if you're then happier and your work quality is improving, then I don't think your boss or or the leadership team is going to have a problem with you being healthier and happier and more productive. So in some ways start small and start chipping away at something and when you're you're making those sort of small changes that are delivering a noticeable, noticeable benefit, I think that no one will have a problem with it but we just have to have the confidence that it's important for us and start it and keep going until we see that benefit. Perfect. Number five. So yeah, the fifth one is, and it's really I think, one of the, the most important ones, but it's really focused on delivering what your client values. Mm-hmm. And there's this this quote from um, Jeff Bezos, the Amazon founder, which where he talks about at Amazon they, they had a lot of inventions, they were all very excited about it and the customers didn't care about it at all. Mm-hmm. And he's just saying if, if those inventions weren't disruptive, the only thing that's disruptive is something that the customer gets behind. I love that quote. I don't think I've had that before. Yeah, it's it's a really good quote. And Laura Vickers was saying this um, in your conversation a couple of weeks ago that they got really excited about a couple of things but then the customers just didn't want that and so they get rid of it. It it makes no sense to spend any time on that. And that's the other thing that I think lawyers don't do enough of is when we, we say, oh, we've got to fix this problem, is the customer going to care? And if it's not going to enable us to deliver a better service to our clients or, you know, have a more profitable business, then it really doesn't matter how much we spend on making our internal day go better because it's not going to have the sort of noticeable payoff that will make a difference to the business. So before you spend too much time reinventing your entire internal system, Just really check in with what, what, like you were saying, when you map out your conveyancing system, and look at, well, where are we letting down our customers? Focus on those points, not so much that, oh, I really hate this particular job and I don't want to do it anymore. (laughs)
0: and that's why an MVP the idea of a minimum viable product or service is so good because you can come up with a concept and launch it and see what kind of feedback you get from your customers before you've spent so much time and money on building the next best fancy thing see if anybody actually cares before you get that far absolutely and then being able to let go I think as well and say that didn't work and it's okay even though it was you know my baby that I loved and I wanted to See it shine it's okay
1: if it doesn't that's right, yeah, and it's so hard to make change stick in law firms you know before you start biting up one of these projects really just check that it actually is going to make a difference where it counts
0: yeah so Fiona, what's the one piece of advice then that you would give to somebody who wants to do law differently?
1: I can really encourage people no matter what firm you are to really just start thinking that part of your job is to learn something new about a better way of doing what you do and maybe try to do something new every month or every six months. But just put that on your own personal to-do list and that might be you're going to go to a webinar from the Centre of Legal Innovation or you're going to listen to Lucy's podcast. But just put something, one of these sort of incremental steps into your, your job so that you don't find yourself five years down the track, looking around and realising that the the way lawyers work has completely changed and you just have no idea about what is going on. I think we just have to put that on our own personal goals of I'm going to find ways, start getting comfortable with change now.
0: Yeah, I like that you're talking to individuals. It doesn't matter what necessarily so much what's going on around you. Don't let that stop you from... Doing what you need to do for the sake of your own career and your own enjoyment of your job, and look at ways that you can start small. Which is exactly where we started with this conversation, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and that was something that I just found that if you start looking for people who are interested in this, you'll find them, and you'll get heaps of inspiration, and, and it'll it really invigorated my interest in and, and my and wanting to continue working in the legal industry by finding people who were changing things and who were enjoying the way they practiced Mm. and that was down to me that wasn't anything to do with who I was working for the kind of work I was doing so although it's hard that's sort of what I want to share with people is that you can um, find things you can make a difference and you can change your level of enjoyment in your work if you start to make some of these small changes And don't expect it to be dramatic overnight, but just keep chipping away, you know, going for your 30-minute walk every day, you're going to get a much better result in the end than if you had gone all out at CrossFit for for one week and never gone back again. Perfect.
0: And I'd suggest, and I'll include a link in the show notes, but if you're looking for someone or somewhere to kind of find where can I look for the people who are doing things differently, I'd suggest to connect with Fiona on LinkedIn because you're often and always sharing small little tips for people who are looking to implement change or short little things that you find out along your journey. You're always sharing them with everybody else. So I think you're a wealth of knowledge.
1: Thanks, Lisa. Yeah, I like to do that. And there are lots of small things that just come up that people don't necessarily know about.
0: Thank you so much for joining us, Fiona.
1: Oh, thanks, Lucy. I really enjoyed it. Congratulations. It's a wonderful podcast.
0: Thank you. Hope you enjoyed the interview. Fiona has very kindly put together a checklist of those five tips, along with links to her favourite tech tools and her favourite resources. You can find the link to the download in the show notes. So that's all from Doing Law Differently today. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, I'd love it if you could leave a rating and review on iTunes. It makes a big difference because it really helps other people to find out about the show. And lastly, if you or someone who you know is doing law differently, then send them my way at doinglawdifferently.com.au forward slash guest. I'd love to have as much variety on the show as possible. So do send them over. See you next week.